what the machine learning system can help is to help users with going over the multiple iterations to see what's the best kind of spot that both utility and fairness looks fine. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Enrico Bertini and I am a professor at NYU in New York City where I do research and teach data visualization. Yeah, and I'm Moritz Stefana and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. In fact, I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. Yes, and in this podcast, we talk about data visualization, analysis, and more generally, the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest we invite on the show. That's right. But before we start, just a quick note, our podcast is listener supported. That means there are no ads. Uh, that also means if you do enjoy the show, you could consider supporting us. You can either do that with recurring payments on patreon.com slash data stories, or you can also send us a one-time donation on paypal.me slash data stories. And thanks to all those of you who have already donated some amounts or are part of our patrons. Thanks so much. Thanks to you that the show can, can go on. <laughs> so let's get started with the, with the topic of today. So today we talk about a really, really relevant topic and it's, uh, it's particularly hot right now. We're going to talk about bias and fairness in machine learning. And if you don't know what this is, we're going to describe and explain what this is about in a moment. And more specifically, what is the role that visualization can play in this specific domain to say, mitigate problems that they can, that can arise in terms of bias and fairness in machine learning. So to talk about this topic, we have not one, but two guests. We have Alex Cabrera, who is a PhD student from Carnegie Mellon University. Hi, Alex. Hi, how's it going? Thank you guys so much for having me. And then we have Yong Soo Han, who is also a PhD student at the University of Pittsburgh. Hi, Yong Soo. Welcome to the show. Hello, nice to talk to you. So, Alex and Yongsu, can you briefly introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about what is your background, what is your main research topic, and uh, just give a brief introduction. Yeah, so I'm Alex. I'm a PhD student at the Human Computer Interaction Institute at Carnegie Mellon. So, generally, I do research into creating uh, interactive systems and visualization systems that help people both develop better machine learning models, so more accurate, more equitable, um, and understanding these models, so understanding potential issues or how they work. Okay, Yongsu? My name is Yongsu An, and I'm a third-year PhD student at University of Pittsburgh. Uh, my research interest lies at the intersection of visualization and fair and explainable AI and interactive machine learning. So my primary research question is uh, to build a system to help users with making the machine learning results more fair and explainable and help them to interact with machines so that their opinions and feedbacks can be incorporated into the system. Okay, thanks so much. So 
I was thinking maybe we should start with defining a little bit this terminology to the extent that this is possible, but maybe there, there are probably many of our listeners who have never heard of that. And of course, fairness and bias, and there's a, there's a very overloaded terminology here. So I'm wondering if we can start by defining a little bit what, what we mean by fairness and maybe even bias in, in machine learning and also what, what kind of problems exist there. Yeah, so uh, probably I can start by talking about a little bit of background on why the problem, um, this fairness problem has been actively discussed in especially machine learning research. So as we may have seen, the data-driven uh, decision is kind of increasingly used in important decisions. So especially uh, such as uh, job recruiting of college admission or predictive policing, those kind of important decisions which have kind of huge impact on uh, individuals. Uh, machine learning has been more and more used in those kind of important decisions. Then um, some of cases have been uh, reported that these machine learning turned out to be biased towards certain groups or, or certain individuals. So here, the, what, what I mean by bias is certain decisions are kind of favorable, favored to uh, certain groups or individuals, such as men over women or uh, white people over uh, African-American people. This is because um, the, the machine learning model is trained from the historical data set. And this historical data set could possibly include uh, inherited bias. Then the model is kind of trained by those data sets and then have a kind of inherited biases. The problem of machine learning here is that whatever trained model can kind of systematically discriminate against certain individuals or groups, especially in machine learning system, um, because many decision makers may use those system in their decision making, then kind of making these machine learning systems more fair is kind of the important problem. Mm -hmm. So basically the type of fairness you talk about is, is mostly related to not being discriminatory or not using features that have nothing to do with the essential decision you're making, but are more superficial, like uh, maybe the race or the gender or uh, other features of a person, right? So it's about combating discrimination. Yeah, I think that's the main idea. It, it's actually, you it get to even more complicated because even if you don't include some of these protected features, so if you say you're trying to give someone a loan, you don't really want to decide that based off of their gender or their race. Mm -hmm. Those are actually, can be almost perfectly predicted by the other features. Exactly. So you yeah. can actually reconstruct that. So actually a lot of machine learning people suggest you actually add those features in because they're going to be used anyway. Mm -hmm. And then you can apply some resolutions afterwards to try to address the problem. Mm -hmm. So it's very much embedded in the data that you're using to train the model, this historical data that you've collected. So it's not just as easy as leaving out that column with race or gender and not saying you, yeah, you're if, blind if to that, that because easy, it's not that We wouldn't easy. have had to do <laughs> yeah. the research that's happening now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, yeah it, it's a little bit more complicated. Just the complex relationships between the variables mm -hmm. ends up that you can actually recreate the biases even having no idea the algorithm not being aware of these protected attributes. Yeah. Okay, but just to understand that, so the evaluation you do and f a fair evaluation is one that only takes the features into account that you're supposed to take into account. So 
usually the way we try to define fairness or quantify it is in the output. So if you're trying to give loans or a very popular example is trying to decide, they have algorithms to decide how how likely someone is to recommit a crime if they're let go. So whether or not you should give someone bail. Mm -hmm. We usually, it doesn't, we don't really look at what features are used. We look at what the output is. Mm -hmm. So if, for example, the recidivism prediction case for African-American males, you're more likely to be given a higher risk score, even though you're just as likely to recommit a crime. Mm -hmm. That is discrimination. That is the bias that we're trying to discover and trying to combat. Right. right. Uh, So we, it doesn't really, these like black box models, it's really hard to know what parts of the data are being used to make the decision. Mm-hmm. But we really care about whether these decisions we're making, the outputs we're making that are really societally impactful, um, whether those are equitable and fair. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I'm wondering if we can, can you guys maybe describe one or two specific examples where these, these kind of problems can arise? I think what, what is interesting is that right now, I mean, we live in a, in a society where where these these AI systems are already making decisions or some of some decisions for us, right? Or providing indications for for experts that have to make decisions based on on what the AI system suggests or recommends, right? So I think I'm wondering if, we, in order to make it a little bit more concrete, if you can cite one one or two examples where where this 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 kind of problem can arise. Yeah. So there. Sadly, there are quite quite a few examples. Um, so one of the <laughs> biggest, one of the the first investigations that looked into it was in facial recognition systems. So there were systems by like uh, they had some by Face Plus Plus, IBM, and Microsoft that they audited, and it tries to tell, given a picture of someone's face, whether they're male or female. And when they started looking into it, they found that when you start seeing how well they perform for say white men versus darker skinned women there was almost 99% accuracy for the white males and close to 70% accuracy for the darker skinned females, mm-hmm. which is pretty big disparity. Um, a lot of that is due, hey, if you look up general data sets of faces, a lot of the faces that come up are white males. The data that you're learning on is not representative. Um, so that's, I mean, it's bad in and of itself, but now that these applications are being, the, the models are being used in real world applications, it gets scarier. So a newer study showed that in self-driving cars, they have these models that predict where pedestrians are going to go and where pedestrians are. And those models actually perform worse if you have darker skin, controlling for the time of day, how light it is, all of that, than if you have lighter skin. Mm-hmm. So if you think that has some pretty serious implications if you have darker skin and cars aren't as good as detecting you. Um, another one that luckily didn't see the light of day, but got a lot of press was Amazon was piloting a new hiring algorithm. So they want to see, hey, can we design an algorithm, given a resume, tries to predict whether or not we should hire them. And when they started looking into it, they found that it was, if there was any mention in a resume of, say, like a women's CS club or any sort of um, female gendered verbs or nouns, it was automatically rejecting the resumes. Uh, basically because all the examples that they had fed them had been mm-hmm. male resumes. Most of their hires had been male. So I hadn't really learned that pattern, didn't know how to actually generalize to that. Mm-hmm. So luckily that wasn't deployed, but those are just two s- examples of how these like more abstract concepts of learning bad models can have some serious implications for equity and fairness. Yeah, yeah. But the main problems seem to come from the training data, as it seems. Like what you supply as ground truth or as 
ground for learning um uh, see, uh, in the examples you you gave the, this this was apparently the source of the that's definitely the a big problem there's also there are problems in the model and things that you can address in the model mm -hmm. so you can do sort of if you have bad data and you can't really gather more data sometimes it's impossible you don't know there are some sort of changes you can make i think yangsu will mention some of them mm -hmm. in, in their system that they apply but sometimes if you have too simple of models maybe they can't like actually learn these complex relationships right. So even if you have lots of diverse data, mm -hmm. you can actually discriminate between these different classes and cases. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of a, a combination. It's this very complex problem where no matter where you are in the, in the pipeline, defining the problem, gathering data, designing the model, uh, it can sort of, this issue can... It's, it's easy to screw up on all ends. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and maybe I think it's also worth mentioning that one problem with these systems is that they tend to produce more errors if, say, for a given category, uh, there's fewer data than for other categories, right? So sometimes the, the problem is the, stems from the fact that, say, for a specific category, there are very, very few data points, and there is not much to learn from f too few data points, right? And because of that, the system tends to have higher error rate. Yep, exactly. It's easier to learn for the majority class and yeah, exclude yeah, the minority yeah, class, and yeah. you still get these good overall numbers. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so big problems. What what, what are your <laughs> solutions? I, I heard you're working on something. We agree. <laughs> <laughs> Young Su, can you can you tell us a bit about FairSide and and what what your approach is? Yeah. Um, so in the FairSide paper, we primarily propose two things. So first one is, is called FairDM. So this is a fair decision-making framework. So what we've observed is that in the area of machine learning system, there hasn't been much work on this fairness in machine learning problem. So we kind of wanted to propose a mind map of how decision-makers can uh, look at the problem for the purpose of the fairness, the combating bias. So. We kind of propose a series of required actions to take. And then we also propose that these actions should be taken in all machine learning stages from data, model, and outcome. Then uh, on top of this uh, fair DM framework, we also propose a system to fully control the biases. So the system supports uh, visualization of individuals and groups. And also we support measuring the biases to quantify and make it uh, comparable. And then we uh, also support uh, identifying the biases in each feature and to mitigate the bias. So uh, the fair site uh, is the combination of this fair DM, which is fair decision-making framework and the fair site, the uh, visualization system. Yeah, and you, you basically address many, many different steps, right? As you, I think mm -hmm. what you, what you said is that, um, well, bias can be introduced at very different, at different steps of the process, right? Yes. And you, you may want to detect what's the actual source, right? If possible. Yes. Yes. Right. And yeah. I think what is what is also interesting in your approach, if I understand correctly, is that you focus on on a I would say on a subset of problems that is mostly about ranking, but it's a really mm -hmm. important one, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I think we should explain this in a moment. So 
I, I think what some of these machine learning models can do is to actually rank people according to some metric so that the top um, mm -hmm. K can be selected for something. And there are lots of real world, real world scenarios where this happens. So the classic one is, say, mm -hmm. hiring decisions mm -hmm. or whether you get admitted into a school or not. Mm -hmm. So many, many existing problems, real world right. problems are solved with the, with the systems, right? right? And so you try to, to be fair, uh, or, or at least to detect biases mm -hmm. in uh, in ranking ranking systems, right? Yeah, we also thought that the, this ranking decision hasn't been explored relatively uh, compared to classification problem. Yeah. But I think the importance of ranking decision is pretty much the same as the classification problem, and also. Of course. Whatever classification problem could be kind of converted to the ranking problem if we just see the outcome as not as a binary decision, but just as a kind of ranking decision. And also we saw that there were less uh, proposed fairness measures in the ranking decision. Then we kind of found the room to propose some ranking measures as well. Okay. And Alex, maybe you want to describe Fairvis? Yeah, sure. So we're trying to tackle a very similar problem. We took two kind of uh, different strategies. So we were looking at, hey, there's a lot of research in the theoretical machine learning community about defining fairness, what is fairness, these different metrics, how we actually maybe apply algorithms to solve them. But there hasn't really been a lot of work in, hey, there are actual people making models that need to understand these biases. How do we actually transfer this knowledge and make it very easy for people to um, discover what types of biases are occurring in their models? So we tried to sort of tackle two of the main issues that we see in discovering fairness issues. One we sort of touched on a little bit earlier is that a lot of bias is present in what we call like these intersectional subgroups. So maybe if you look at your model overall, there's like 95% accuracy, but then you look, okay, what if I split my data set between males and females? Then maybe there's a little bit of a difference in the accuracy or the performance of the model. And then, okay, what if I want to split from gender and race? All of a sudden you have like maybe 10 different groups of like Asian females, white males, all these different combinations. All of a sudden, if you start adding more attributes and you want to see how all these different groups are performing, you might have to look at hundreds, if not thousands of different groups and see, oh, how are they performing for all these metrics? So the problem kind of, I don't know, it, the, the complexity increases significantly. Then the, the other issue we're trying to tackle uh, is <laughs> the, the never-ending question, what is fairness? What is equity? Um, so one of the very interesting results in the machine learning community is that there are many ways to define fairness, and a lot of the definitions are actually incompatible. So sort of like an example of this is in this recidivism prediction task of uh, ranking how risky someone is, how likely someone is to recommit a crime. Uh, they found one of the production systems was had a high false positive rate for African-American defendants. But the argument was that it was just as predictive for white defendants and African-American defendants. So depending what you define as fairness, mm -hmm. either one was okay. Either it was just as accurate for the two groups or there were more false positive rates. It was more likely to rank the African-American defendants as higher risk. So there are a lot of these different metrics that you kind of have to balance and see the trade-offs between them. 
So for Fairviz, we basically designed this interactive system that lets you upload um, your data and your model's outputs and create these subgroups and lets you visualize them according to all these different metrics. So you can see, hey, okay, this subgroup has this high false positive rate, but it has um, low calibration. So this like how accurate the model is for this group. Um, and then the, the other thing we tried to add in is sometimes you don't really know what groups you want to look at. So maybe you know that there are these demographic dimensions that you care about, like sex and race, but maybe there are these small groups you didn't think of that are performing really badly. So we designed a little algorithm that kind of generates these groups automatically and gives you suggestions of, hey, you might want to look into this intersectional subgroup. It's not performing very well. So we tried to make this as uh, approachable for machine learning practitioners as possible, where they can just <laughs> basically upload their data and have at least the sense and idea of what's going on in these models, how they're performing. So this sort of this first step of, hey, what is the problem? How are we going to address it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think what, what is really interesting here that strikes me almost as paradoxical is that we we try to offload decisions to machines and then and then we realize, oh, but there are problems, right? And now, uh, <laughs> now we have to get back to humans. But even there, I think in in both of your system, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, they are not only to detect what the problems are, but also to fix them, right? And now we are going back to the problem of how do we fix them? Because we don't even know, we didn't really agree on what is fair and what is not fair, right? So there's there's a big tension there, and uh, <laughs> I don't I, I I think finding a solution is really hard because it's not it's not quote unquote just a technical solution. It's not just figuring out as you just said, right? It's not just a mathematical formula or a parameter. Sooner or later, we have to go back to human decisions, right? And yeah, I think that's a big oh, yeah. challenge there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think. It's a really interesting question to think about is, yeah, at some point we have these automated algorithms make decisions for us, hopefully they're perfect, realize they're not perfect, and now we have to make these decisions that don't have uh, black or white answers. There's no like, yes, this is objectively better. Um, I think that where I think the community is going, especially in human-computer interaction, more of these human-centered areas, is how do we actually include people in the conversation? So now instead of having maybe a machine learning person sitting at their computer and being like, hmm, the false positive rate I think is more important than calibration. I'm going to choose that. <laughs> uh, they're thinking of, hey, this should maybe be a more public process where we're including the community that affected like demographic groups into the conversation, having it as more like a, a staging ground of what do we care about as a community and integrating that back into the algorithms, um, which has its own challenges, for example, that... <laughs> There are, I think, a lot of interesting viz applications of how do you communicate these really complex trade-offs between different definitions of fairness and accuracy and false positive rate and precision into like easily understandable trade-offs that people can actually reason about and make ethical decisions. Mm -hmm. I think that there's a very interesting space there that I think is just starting to be explored um, that I think has really interesting implications. Also, I, I could imagine, uh, let's say you're a bank or an insurance, probably you would not publish um, the way you, you make certain decisions, like, you know, who you give a credit to, which conditions. Um, I guess a lot of corporations would say like, oh, it's all a trade secret. And it's like, this is just how <laughs> we do things. And it's all like 
unbiased. We have like a machine learning expert working on that. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's it, right? And so, yeah, and I think then we get into this area of accountability and how can we, how can we actually control that at least the process that led to these decisions is is fair and sane and uh, maybe you know yeah, just that, that's <laughs> a, a hard question as well yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well interestingly some regulation always already exists for some specific markets right so mm -hmm. say actually in finance there is a lot of auditing machine learning models have to go through because they they have to be compliant so i think this happens mostly in regulated markets like um yeah as i said finance or i suspect also healthcare but i'm pretty sure that finance is like that yeah there's also the there's one line in the the new european privacy law the gdpr that states if you have algorithmic decisions, you have the right to explanation. Yeah, which, <laughs> which is this we have very to figure out broad, what, what it means, right? <laughs> vague thing, but I mean, in the end, does that mean hey, I have the right to know whether or not my race or my demographic information was used to make this decision? Mm. Um, was it biased in some way? So that might put the impetus on these companies to actually have to do this sort of auditing for the algorithms. Yeah. Um, so I, it's still sort of the wild west on what we can expect. A lot of the machine learning people are like, that's not how it works. Like <laughs> we can't just explain to you. It just is. <laughs> mm. um, so I, I think it'll be a very interesting interplay between, hey, these algorithms sometimes are objectively better. They're more consistent, um, less biased than humans. But at the same time, there's really like they're new. We don't know exactly how they work. We're just discovering that they can be biased. Mm. Yeah. We really need to know what's yeah. going on there. Yeah, yeah. So I think an another interesting problem here is that there may be a tension between being fair and making the most optimal, quote unquote, optimal decision from, from say, a company standpoint, right? I don't know. A couple of examples that come to mind is uh, maybe a company wants to hire what they think is the most qualified person. Why should they be fairer, right? Or... Um, I don't know, universities want want to admit the most promising students, right? Um, so there might be a tension there. And uh, I'm now thinking that once we actually, we have more transparent systems, right? Um, this is even more evident, right? Because there, there are numbers there showing that if you say, if you admit this, this group of people rather than that group, your performance is going down. Right. So paradoxically, it may even be worse because now I know that my system is is predicting that things are going to be worse if I am more fair. Right. So it's a big, big problem. <laughs> yeah. So when you apply the fairness method, then because this fairness method is kind of optimizing the decision uh, for the sake of fairness and also the decisions, this optimal decisions itself uh, together. So it's kind of inevitable to have a lower performance as well. So there is a tension between these performance, which is called uh, utility and also fairness. I think in your system, it's possible to actually quantify these two things and find a trade-off, right? Do I understand correctly? Yes. So actually, the, the what the machine learning system can help is to uh, help users with going over the uh, multiple iterations to see what's the best kind of spot mm -hmm. 
that both utility and fairness uh, looks fine. Mm -hmm. So okay. yeah. it could be by uh, selecting different set of uh, features or by selecting uh, different fairness methods. Because along this pipeline, there could be many, many factors, including data set or selection of models and selection of fairness measures. Many uh, different choices could affect these trade-off between two. So I would say the well-designed machine learning system can help decision makers go over this process and ultimately select a, the best one that are most, the most fitted to the decisions uh, in their domains. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's like, th the other question is obviously like, what is, what is optimal anyways? And I think often <laughs> yeah, exactly. these automated decisions <laughs> right, systems, yeah. they, they, they are very good at making a locally optimal decision, like for one run, you know, find the best thing. But then exactly. let's say you want to hire just one person, fine. But maybe if you want to hire <laughs> a whole team over time, right, then you have to think about, okay, what, what's a good constellation of people actually? You know, how does this all go together? How, how can we create synergies? And then you might have a lot of locally optimal decisions leading to a really crappy team composition, right? <laughs> and I think <laughs> these things, what, what people who, who are good leaders or managers ha have a good intuition on, uh, it's it's kind of hard um, if if you to to reproduce if you if you focus just on these locally optimal decisions in many ways, right? Yeah, I I think it also like ties back to more an ongoing discussion around concepts like affirmative action, where hey, we want to increase diversity, we want to accept more people, give more opportunities, um, but we also want to select the best people. So mm. I think even abstracting away the the algorithm itself, you can have an algorithm and you have to choose a point. But in these human decisions as well, we kind of have to come to a conclusion, where is that balance between <laughs> uh, sort of these two sometimes competing concepts? Yeah. Yeah, it's true that people have to use some sort of algorithm anyway, right? <laughs> it's yeah. like, uh, I'm a not thinking a college who has to make decisions has to make decisions based on some criteria, right? Mm, yeah. But, but there's a problem another of transparency as well. Yeah. W whenever we use machines that, okay, we have to use something measurable. Like, yeah. I think that that's yeah. already like the first bias. So I don't know, you want to hire a programmer. Okay. What could we measure about the programmer, right? <laughs> GitHub yeah. stars or, you know, number of co lines of code written and yeah. <laughs> boom, there's your first bias because, you know, that's, that's not really maybe not a complete picture of what, what makes a good, a good coder or a good oh, yeah. developer. Right. And yeah. And, and these things happen so fast you don't even <laughs> you don't even realize. You're just happy you have a system running, right? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I also wonder like things like the credit scores or in Germany we have the Schufa, which is also like a, a, a financial risk evaluation system. I think they have rules too, and they are sort of automated too. Um I, I wonder how they like what what biases are built in there, or if they are more fair because they are more explicitly defined, or have been um, have been around longer and have been like maybe you know have been questioned more. Do, do you know if if these types of like the credit score system is is it fairer than a average neural net or less fair? <laughs> um, do you have any 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 uh, comparison there? I, I think it, there's some interesting research from like the 60s and 70s, where they were testing, for example, in psychiatry, uh, 
they had people, okay, do you have neurosis or psychosis? So you could have a psychiatrist <laughs> go in and try to decide. Or they had this scale where you just add up 10 numbers that you uh-huh. arbitrarily say like binary, yes or no. And if you're higher than this number, it's one. If you're lower, it's the other. And almost all these types of studies they did across the board, the simple, very like dumb algorithm was always better, <laughs> which has very interesting <laughs> implications for something like like credit scoring, where like most likely like we think humans have a little bit better judgment, but are all these by like cognitive biases from like Kahneman and Tversky that we're aware of that are constantly clouding our judgment. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of, it's surprising how much better some of these very simple algorithms, for example, like a credit score that just gives you a number, how much better they can sometimes be than humans, even when we can ingest all sorts of different information and data. So I think sort of the way I think of it is that these algorithms can be better and have been shown to be better, but they can also be problematic. So can we actually develop better methods of understanding how they can be problematic? I think is right, a really right. interesting question. And then there's the the bigger question, are there some questions where we don't actually ever want algorithms to decide, but maybe we can help people actually make those decisions in a better way? Um, yeah, it's a yeah ongoing question as well. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's partly the, the beauty of, of this research area because it's not, it's certainly not exclusively a computer science problem, right? Uh, mm-hmm. it's, yep. it's not exclusively a, a, a law problem, right? Legal problem. And, uh, and it's not exclusively a psychological problem, right? So it's, it's really, you, you can't really forget any of these components. And I mentioned only three. There are probably more, right? <laughs> Philosophy and, and, and so on. So it's, uh, it's, um, and partly I think it's the challenge because you really need expertise in all of these areas in order to, to, to make substantial progress, I guess. And, um, I also have to say, I'm, I'm always conflicted because, I think uh, in this space, there is a tendency to focus a lot on problems, right? How machine learning methods <laughs> or AI systems introduce new problems. And of course, that's, that's really relevant, right? On the other hand, uh, humans are also problematic in some way, <laughs> right? I think we, we almost like need a science that, that describes or even predicts a little bit better how do we actually juggle between human decisions and machine decisions? I think we don't have a good a good science of that. It's 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 really mm. complicated. Yeah. So um, the fact that the societal decision makings have been more and more in a data driven way is because these uh, machine driven decisions are better at finding the patterns and the answers in, in complex problems. So. That's the definitely the advantage of machine-driven mm. decisions, where probably humans are kind of biased toward a very small set of cases or experiences, versus um, the machine can be trained by an enormous data set, which grabs more uh, a good amount of evidences in the given uh, problem, but. Definitely not all the problems can be found by and solved by machines because some of them are very subjective to decide. So probably I can uh, talk about the evaluation of the the fair side system, which is more fair is kind of a uh, subjective matter. 
So to, to evaluate our system, we asked the users to define, uh, find whatever the features to be removed uh, to <laughs> mm-hmm. mitigate the biases when, when they do uh, feature selection. And it, it turned out that all of them kind of uh, removed different features, oh, yeah. which means that just every person, even the domain experts, the individual domain experts could have different view of the fairness. Mm. Hmm. And especially, uh, it could be the domain specific, but even though it is in the same same domain, it could be different depending on the situations or any given time. So, what is fair and what what to be fair? How can we uh, make these decision fair? Is kind of a another subject in there. So, especially the the human compa- computer interaction uh, community. What they work on is to incorporate uh, the humans' feedbacks or knowledge or whatever subjective merits into the machine decisions so that machine and human can kind of incorporate each other. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there is a bit definitely tension between machine, machine-driven decision and human-driven decision. I think there is a role of machine and human. And then the, the best way is to kind of work together towards better decision, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and what you also both mentioned at the beginning is something I keep thinking about now is on the one hand, we have the decisions and people are categorized or ranked by machines. And that, that's obviously a huge, huge area. But the other part is also if we build tools, you know, uh, is everybody involved in the same way that the tool works for them? as well as for others, or reflects also their perspective or their worldview. Uh, I, I also have to think of VR uh, goggles that where many, many women actually have problems using them um, and, and nobody ever noticed because it was always dudes um, trying them out. And uh, all these things, I think that seems to me as almost this, the same size of problem or maybe even bigger uh, than the decision-making. And the decision-making, maybe there should, should always be people involved in the end if a decision is so crucial that we even talk about fairness or if we talk about a medical decision or going to jail or not, maybe there should be humans involved <laughs> <laughs> also in a hundred years. <laughs> Just to throw that out there. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy idea. <laughs> yeah. 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 It seems related to participatory democracy and, and stuff like that. I think there is a whole branch of design called participatory design, right? That is <laughs> similar in spirit to that. So maybe we need some participatory machine learning design or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so new research anyone field. wants to start this new thing, <laughs> sign me up. Yeah. Okay, guys. So we need to wrap it up soon. And um, I'm wondering if we can conclude by giving people a little, a little bit of um, a few pointers if they want to get started, either learning more about these problems and maybe even doing some work in, in, in this area. So is there anything specific they can take a look at? Maybe an article or something? I would say it would be nice to start with something that is not overly technical for our audience. <laughs> and then if they want to dig yeah. deeper, they can read your papers and and, and see what is referenced <laughs> There's there. One, it, it is a paper, but it's in a law journal that's really good called Big Data's Disparate Impact. Mm-hmm. That's a very good summary of like all the ways bias happens, but it's pretty high level. Like it's not technical mm-hmm. at all. 
That's great. And I think there was something from Moritz. There was something from Nikki Case at some point. Yeah. So Nikki Case we had on the show a while back. Uh, and there's one nice simulation slash game slash narrative called Parable of the Polygons, which I, I enjoyed yeah, a lot. I uh, love that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's, I've that's played a it before. Like, it's really, really good. Playful way to, to explore these, like the underlying uh, topics. Yeah. And then there's these... Uh, Interesting little visualizations from um, from Google. There's this web page called "Attacking Discrimination with Smarter Machine Learning." I think it's the web page. Yeah, that one's really good too. Yeah, and uh, I find it really, really revealing. I think when you go through this web page, you can you can play with thresholds and see how things change, and it gives mm. you really a sense of of uh, how bias and fairness can work and also how complicated it is to actually make a decision because <laughs> there are competing competing decisions so i think it's very well done in this sense yeah. so we will link all of these things in the in the show notes and um, maybe we should conclude by saying is it possible to try out your tools are they available online somewhere and maybe fiddle with the parameters and load some data uh Fairvis is online. I can send the link somewhere. <laughs> it's only slightly buggy. <laughs> <laughs> How about Fairsight, Youngso? Oh yeah, Fairsight has a GitHub web page. So there is a brief introduction of the Fairsight, but uh, currently it's not available for the system. Mm -hmm. Cool. Now, but we'll we'll link to the site and people can find out more. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. That was fascinating. It's a, I think it's a topic that will keep us busy for a few more years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And, uh, <laughs> surely an important one. At a minimum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much. Oh, thank you guys so much for that. Thank you. Thank this you for inviting. Bye, guys. Bye, bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is crowdfunded, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash datastories, where we publish monthly previews of upcoming episodes for our supporters. Or you can also send us a one-time donation via PayPal at paypal.me slash datastories. Or as a free way to support the show, if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be very helpful as well. And here's some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, so follow us there for the latest updates. We have also a Slack channel where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, go to our own page at datastory.es, and there you'll find a button at the bottom of the page. And there you can also subscribe to our email newsletter if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish a new episode. That's right. And we love to get in touch with our listeners. So let us know if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or know any amazing people you want us to invite or even have any project you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. Don't hesitate to get in touch. Just send us an email at mail at datastory.es. That's all for now. Hear you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.